you're listening to Fiaishia Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I'm your host, Ashley Park, and with me is... Jake Clark. Jake Clark. And what we're going to do today, we have a lot of stuff for you today. We always have a lot of stuff, because there's so much stuff in Vancouver. That's true. You know, that, that is one thing I do love about this town, is just the, the richness of it. You know, that is sort of, I would say, almost an embarrassment of riches. Why an embarrassment? Well, you know, when we have, you've know, got so many pe- talented people working in Vancouver, in, um, in, in, in theater and in film, and you have, you have maybe a fifth of the money circulating that you'd find, like, if you went to Los Angeles or New York in a place, and you've got equally, ju- you got just the same size talent pool. That, mm-hmm. to me, is very distressing. Which is why we got events like Brave New Playwrights, you yep, know, to give... that's one. To, ...to help out with that. But there's, there, there's honestly, can't remember a lot of... I get hit in the head a lot, so that's a factor. Okay, okay. Well, there's another one that we're actually really excited to tell you guys today. It starts today, actually. You might notice from our last week's show, we had some great interviews with some directors. You might have heard of them, Yuri Chang, Anna Holman. This is, of course, for the World Sinophone Drama Competition for Young Playwrights. Today, oh, yeah. we have... Awesome guest. We have Dr. Uh, Stephen Liu, who actually brought it to UBC. We also have Jalen Han, who is um, director of Face uh, Drama, and uh, she is going to be doing the actual um, Mandarin version of Fauci of the Fist, all fully staged. It's going to be so cool. Welcome to the show, uh, Dr. Liu and Jalen. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, let's get right into it. Dr. Liu, how did you get involved with this entire competition? How did you bring it to UBC? Tell us all about it, the story. Okay. <laughs> it's actually started by um, Dr. Catherine uh, Huiling Zhou, who's a, uh, got her uh, PhD, I think, from NYU some time ago, and then is now teaching at um, Taiwan Central University. <laughs> um, she started this idea of uh, doing a uh, worldwide uh, sign up on Chinese language young playwrights competition. And right now, actually, this one we are doing is the first from the first uh, competition was done in, ni- in 2014. Mm-hmm. So they've done second one and they just kicked off the, f- the third one. So there's still spots. So any uh, aspiring writers, just contact me and then we will <laughs> get you uh, into this competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at any rate, so so uh, we he contacted me because there are only so many uh, scholars of Chinese uh, theater, um, and and so we know each other for a while, and so he wanted to say, well, if UBC want to be involved, and said sure, and so we became a co-sponsor uh, of the event of all the events actually, and so as uh, a co-sponsor, we attacked to actually to do state readings of the first three winners, and that's how mm-hmm. we got involved. Well, that's so great. I love the fact that UBC is really becoming kind of like a global sort mm-hmm. of supporter of the arts, especially when you mentioned uh, Chinese theater. You're right. There's not much of modern uh, plays that people in general know about, which is quite sad just because, you know, there is a wonderful new perspective just mm-hmm. waiting to be tapped into. And it's great that you guys brought it here to uh, UBC. Can you tell us a little bit more about these three plays? Yeah, uh, these are really wonderful plays. Um, they are uh, they are written actually by. Um, well, let me just go one by one. Uh, the first one is called Holy Crab with a yeah, B. With a B. <laughs> <laughs> Exclamation point! I Exclamation is point! That, is that a bilingual pun or is that a translation? It's. Um, 
No, I think it's a translation. Uh, no, 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 it's bilingual. Uh, it, well, the whole idea is actually is to, it, it's based on the, the, there's a new, real piece of news that uh, Chinese crabs were invading Manhattan. And yeah. So, <laughs> and so there, there's so the, the so the, the story is set in Manhattan. It's uh, we we see crabs on stage uh, invading, and then also of course there's all group a whole diverse uh, group of immigrants from different countries mm -hmm. from China um, East Europe uh, different countries France um, people doing uh, uh, the Liberty statue on Times Square and all that stuff uh, Chinatown uh, so it's a great story about migration integration disintegration and all that and how you cope uh, so the second one is called um, um, uh, a dirty Paws, or How to Make a Great Documentary Film. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about uh, the uh, Western regions in China. It's about quite interesting intrigue. Happens, takes place in a vineyard, but quite interesting intrigue, different ways. And then the third play is what Jalen's doing. Mm -hmm. um, you want to talk about it? Or? Me? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Jalen, let's hear from you. Yeah, um, the third play is called uh, Fallacy of the Fist. Um, mm -hmm. The background is the Boxer Rebellion uh, mm -hmm. in China. Chinese modern history, that's a very important event. Mm. Um, yeah, and the play is about, well, I, ha I don't want to say it's a historical play because mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan of historical play. It would be very boring, right? <laughs> so um, when I first <laughs> saw this script, mm -hmm. I have to say the form of the script is really interesting, it's fantastic. And oh, really? I think um, this play um, can have many things to play with. So this play is uh, all about how human beings will do um, to survive in a very uh, extremely bad, terrible situation. Mm -hmm. So in this play, we have uh, five uh, roles uh, called A, B, C, D, and E. Mm -hmm. And they played um, at least 10 figures in this play. And um, in this play, everyone did something bad mm -hmm. to others and they also got the result from others. So it's like a circle story. So I think there's a, a, a lot to play with. So I choose this play. Well, yeah. That's very interesting. The characters yeah. are more like narrators embodying many uh, different characters than just right. one single one. Very avant-garde, I would say. Yes, and not only the uh, the figures, but also like animals, like the f there's a fox mm -hmm. in the play. And um, also we bring many um, effects just made by our performers, mm -hmm. like the explosion scene. We just use our performers to make it happen. That's very yeah, interesting. Um, as the director for uh, Face Drama, which is, I believe, uh, a Mandarin-speaking yes. um, theater group, how does that approach of directing kind of um, how is it different than any other thing that you've pursued as a director? Uh, well, uh, actually, we start. We didn't think we will start a club, a theater club in Mandarin mm -hmm. at first. But uh, we just some people, uh, amateur uh, actors, mm -hmm. we got together and we read read plays, and suddenly one of our friends said, "Oh, I can do the technical thing." So oh. why not we just make a production? Mm -hmm. So that's how this club start. And um, well, I think there's not many difference from um, uh, like Players Club or um, the plays in the theater department. Mm -hmm. We just do the same thing, but only in uh, Mandarin. 
I see. Yeah. So for the first, uh, at the first, we think our target audience should be like international students、uh, who come from China or Taiwan who can speak Mandarin.、Mm -hmm. But now、uh, we think that、um, we may brought more audience from、uh, other backgrounds, like、um, international, other international students、mm -hmm. or the native、uh, English speakers,、mm -hmm. the audience to our show. So yeah, that sounds really interesting. And your show will be performed in Mandarin, is that correct? Yes,、uh, with English subtitles. That's wonderful so, too.、Yeah. And that's the February the eighth show, I believe.、Uh, the opening is、uh, February eighth,、mm -hmm. and、uh, till February eleventh. I see.、Uh, or、uh, if you want to come on February seventh, that's preview. Yeah. Okay, great.、Yeah. And for the February the eighth show, that's the double feature with the reading before the、uh, actual staged performance. Yes, right. So if you come on、uh, February eighth, you're gonna stay here and watch two, actually two shows. One is the English version、mm -hmm. reading and our Mandarin productions. Yeah,、mm -hmm. that's so interesting. That's really cool. And the readings are actually free for the public. If you didn't know that, Jake. Huh. Yeah. Now. Now you know. <laughs> It's at the Dorothy Somerset、uh, every Wednesday night, from what I can tell, January twenty fifth, February first, February the eighth, seven thirty. Right.、Mm -hmm. uh, did yours、uh, is the eighth one、uh, start at seven or seven thirty?、Uh, I think the eighth one start at seven because we have two、yeah. shows. Because two、oh, shows. Oh yeah,、yes. that、so、one starts start at. And then、seven. there will be a talkback after each show. Right. Oh, that's、right. so great too.、Yeah. And so there'll be a talkback for tonight's show,、mm -hmm. uh, which is seven thirty. And that's holy crap! Yeah.、Right. Now I have a question about、um, about Chinese theater at large because I am very uninformed about、uh, about that aspect of,、um, of of culture, and I was wondering these plays are written by、um, students here, yeah? They are.、Uh, the the first two、oh. plays are written by students who came originally from China,、mm -hmm. and then they got their MFA、uh, playwriting、uh, in from Columbia University. And the third, the, the the and then the other play is about the uh, uh, the second play, Dirty Paws, is actually by a Taiwanese playwright. And、um, uh, the state of theater in China, I, I'm wondering, what what is that exactly? Does this inculcate a certain variety of、uh, of play? Like Holy Crab, obviously seems a little satirical, a little light. But then there's、uh, the Fallacy of the Fist, which seems like a slightly heavier ensemble play about about a historical event. Would do those? I, I guess what I mean to say is, do those capture a certain spirit, a certain movement in、um, Chinese theater at this time, at this point in history?、Uh, we, we, when we talk about Chinese theater, we generally talk about two parts: one traditional theater, the、mm -hmm. singing and dancing theater, and then the spoken drama, right, which started in the early twentieth century. Uh, so, uh, yeah, for for the、uh, spoken drama, we just、uh, people, as Ashley said, people generally don't. Realize that actually we do we do have the spoken part of、uh, theater, and then we actually just had、uh, in Vancouver last、uh, October one of the best known modern Chinese plays, Tea House, came in、uh, Vancouver. Uh, so, uh, but since then we got lots of uh, uh, as you said, actually、uh, they they are catching up the contemporary spirit quite well. I would, wouldn't you say so?、Mm -hmm. Yeah.、Um, And you you did one show, for example,、uh, yes. the, 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 the the play that、yes. was quite experimental and quite avant-garde in that sense. Yes, yes, right. 
Yeah. So so yeah. Uh, so so I mean, it's 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 almost like anywhere, right? Right now, um, experimentation, avant-garde stuff are mm-hmm. going uh, quite well, and and that's actually in- interestingly, um, that just in the past two decades, uh, spoken drama actually have been catching on with the audience quite well. It used to be uh, not qu- that popular. It used to be just elite, uh, college-educated uh, audience. Uh, a kind of stagey, kind of Stanislavski, uh, old uh, realistic theater. Oh. But right now, there's lots of great experimentation. Um, uh, satirical is definitely part of it. Um, uh, grassroots theater, um, uh, small scale, uh, big scale, um, in Shanghai, in Beijing, especially the two centers. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a good time, actually, to talk about Chinese theater. I think it's also a really good time to talk about the international aspects of Chinese theater, too, just because there is a lot of immigration, a lot of uh, Chinese immigrants. They uh, People don't know it, but um, a lot of the culture in Canada was shaped by Chinese immigrants as well, too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, and, and another thing um, is very interesting for the uh, Fallacy of Fist. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, we brought... Uh, we borrow many techniques from the traditional Chinese theater. Oh, really? Yes, and like the uh, traditional Chinese uh, storytelling traditions. Mm-hmm. And we use many props to um, uh, make an effect in our own play. So these, all, uh, these techniques are all from the traditional, our traditional theater from China. Oh, yeah. that's wonderful. Can you give one example? Like uh, the shooting the arrow scene. Oh, cool. Uh, y- you're in a in a I, I kind of know it, but our audience doesn't. Please explain. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so in Chinese storytelling tradition, sometimes they use a fan to um, only use a fan on stage. So the fan could be a, a pen mm-hmm. or could be an arrow or could be a uh, sword. Mm-hmm. It, it only depends on how you use that. It oh, depends on the gesture, right? So uh, we borrow the fan into our play. Mm-hmm. So our uh, uh, performers will use the fan as the arrow, just do the shooting uh, gesture. Mm-hmm. And when they take up the, the arrow and reading the letters uh, with the arrow, they just open the fan and mm-hmm. read that. So it's a very, I, I have to say, very traditional techniques. So if you go to uh, Chinese storytelling uh, performance, you're going to know what this means. Yeah, just like that. Now, I have a what might be perhaps be an odd question, uh, but Bertolt Brecht, the uh, Brecht, Brecht, yeah, I, I Brecht. Never, mm-hmm. never knew how to pronounce the guy's name. I, but, uh, <laughs> no, Brecht, uh, it's great, uh, actually. Brecht, yeah, uh, he, uh, the German uh, dramatist, was a great admirer of Chinese theater, mm-hmm. and he <laughs> said that as an influence yeah, yeah, for, he his, did. for his dramaturgy. Yeah. Uh, would you guys say that you guys in turn have an influence from Bertolt Brecht or that your plays resemble uh, those um, through some means because they've evolved differently, obviously, but they're both a different take on this traditional form? Well, uh, I can say I uh, we, we, we just um, learned from Brecht. Um, hmm. Actually, we just directly get something from our traditional um, theater. So actually, we did what Brecht Wanted to do. Yeah, wanted yeah. to do. No, actually, <coughs> Brecht was yeah. great in China in the sense that it helped Chinese to see their own theater. Yes. Because yes, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, people, all people know, knew was Stanislavski. 
realism. And then actually they think about Chinese theater as some, something quite low actually mm -hmm. in the ladder of so, the so-called theatrical no evolution, right? And so then when they knew about Brecht actually thinking so high of Chinese theater, they used Brecht to get Chinese theater back to exactly what Jalen and their people are doing right, right. now, that, that kind of new intercultural theater that's bringing yes. traditional mm -hmm. theater back mm -hmm. into spoken drama. And, you, and being as this is experimental theater, do you try to uh, accomplish the same sort of alienation that he prized? Or well, uh, actually, we, we're not trying to alienate uh, the, our audience from the play. We're trying to just catch them. And we just make the, all these effects to make them happy. That's all. We, we don't want to alienate them from our play. Mm. We just want to get them You want in. to kind of immerse yeah. them more into the culture yeah, that just you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah. I have to, yeah, we have to just involve our audience not to alienate them. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, anyways, um, so again, the three plays, um, Holy Crab, Dirty Paws, or How to Make a Really Great Documentary, long title, <laughs> long title, and Fascia the Fist, they, the readings are for January 25th, February the 1st, and February the 8th, but your production actually goes beyond that. Yes. And they're ticketed. Yeah, and people right. have to reserve. Yes, um, oh, we have a like a reservation system um, for the February eighth, the opening, because that's a joint opening. So mm -hmm. we have a, a reservation uh, thing, a link. So we're gonna uh, put it on uh, the Facebook. Okay, so, great. Yeah, like a event page. Yeah, and for um, our productions from. Uh, February 7th and also from 9 to 11 uh, we just sell tickets mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a system uh, with AMS okay with so the AMS. yeah Got we have it. a QR card uh, there and you can just scan that mm -hmm. and buy the tickets it's not very uh, expensive it's not very it's expensive you get yeah. to see a new intercultural theater you said you have the uh, English subtitles so people who are like I don't know Mandarin well you can read English right yes right. it'll be really it'll be really great thank you so much again for uh, coming onto the show talking to us about this I hope that this that UBC does it more than once thank yeah. you so much for bringing it to UBC Dr. Liu for thank the you first for time spreading the word ever sounds super cool and again, um, we are with Dr. Liu, Jalen Han. We will be back after these short messages, and then we'll talk more cool theatrical stuff. But yeah, again, holy crab, today, January 25th, 7.30, Dorothy Somerset. Go watch it. It's free. <laughs> Reaching out for help is a sign of strength, not weakness. Wednesday, January 25th, get involved with UBC Suicide Awareness Day. Find out what you can do to help prevent suicide and to combat the stigma surrounding it. Spread the word and show the world that no one is ever alone by wearing orange to raise awareness. For more information about suicide awareness or for help if you or someone you know is considering suicide, visit thrive.ubc.ca. Out of sight. Thursday, January 26th. CHR is hosting our annual 24 hours of student power from 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. CHR will be broadcasting a full day of radio broadcasts, discussions, musical performances, and interviews with UBC students. Tune in to hear cool. special programming from Thunderbird Eye, All Access Pass, Babe Waves, interviews with student clubs like the Bike Kitchen, the CBC, Improv, and more. Plus, there will be three live performances by student bands, Either Or, Mirepoix, and Cursor. 
tune in or come hang out on Thursday here at CITR. motivational speeches that I have ever heard came from people who told me I couldn't do something. <laughs> you know why? Because when they told me I couldn't do it, I was bound and determined to show them that I could. Alexis Pass is back for season two. We are a collectively run weekly program that discusses equity, inclusion, and accessibility issues on and off UBC's campus, including both visible and invisible disabilities. You can catch All Access Pass every Thursdays from 2 to 3 p.m. Anyone can get involved. No experience is necessary. People of all abilities are welcome to join. Check us out on Facebook at All Access Pass or get involved by emailing accessibilitycollective at citr.ca. There. Welcome back. Hey, in case you and in case you've forgotten, since we're still coming from UBC, we are broadcasting from unceded uh, unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. CITR 101.9 FM. Own your frequency. That's right. We are the Arts Report. As you can tell, this is hosted by Ashley Park and Jake Clark, and we have wonderful guests with us today. These are two amazing lighting designers from Brave New Playwrights. Please introduce yourself to our audience. Wow. Hi there, I'm uh, Michael Matho, and um, I joined, this is my first festival, but um, I've applied many times, but just because <laughs> of convergence of factors, couldn't uh, participate as fully as I wanted to, but it's uh, been uh, a, a great, uh, the production team that I've met so far has just been fantastic. And I'm Nicole Weismiller. Um, this is my second time trying to work on the festival. Um, last time I ended up like getting busy, hmm. just couldn't really participate either. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm the lighting designer, if that hmm. wasn't mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys are lighting designers for the 2017 Brave New Playwrights. And you mentioned that this is your first time being, um, being part of this festival. And uh, you want to be part of the festival for a while. So you guys are in the festival now. Let's kind of go into the eyes of a lighting designer. What does a lighting designer will do? Uh, overall, it's uh, supporting the story. Uh, making visual accents to uh, a story or environment, creating an environment that helps support the context of uh, the storyline or the characters or uh, uh, however it can make you as an audience member believe that you're in that space. It's kind of like painting with light. Mm. Painting with light. That so sounds really good. Like mm. mixing around with color theory and you know also above all making sure like the actors are seen. <laughs> um, but when you're like working with That's dance or something important. you can play with shadows and make yeah. Angles that's, and color. And that's a lot of fun. <laughs> People don't actually know it, but lighting design goes a lot into how a scene is read. And mm. what you mentioned before, like angles, shadows, even a simple color can change everything. Mm. Can you guys like tell us what? how did you kind of get into lighting design? Uh, myself, I, um, I fell in love with the original Twilight Zone with Rod Serling. Yes. Awesome and um, 
uh, yeah, I don't know, and just the humanistic uh, aspects of his writing that um, I could see not necessarily without any uh, conscious understanding that the how they play with light in specific emotional situations that I kind of went, ooh, that's cool. That's really cool. I, how did they do that? And it just started from there. Um, mine was actually born out of sibling rivalry. <laughs> um, my sister and I have always been two very artistic people. My sister's someone who's always been able to like paint and sculpt and do all like the classic type of art. And then I got into theater one day um, after like I think I failed like a photography project, and I got onto a lighting board and was just playing around with things, and it was just. We had uh, a couple gobos, which is something you put in a light to kind of make like a picture out of shadows. Mm -hmm. And we had this flower and a couple other things like on the wall, and I was just turning them on and playing around with things. And it was just just like the spark of moment where I was just like, oh, man, I'm making something with my hands. Mm -hmm. And I remember going home that day and being like, going home bragging to my sister, being like, I got a part in the <laughs> show at school. And... <laughs> I'm the lighting designer for it. And she's like, what? What? What is that? <laughs> what? What is that? Look at this, like, sculpted dog I made. <laughs> but and I, you felt better, didn't you? <laughs> but I went home and I, like, I just, I started in high school, pretty much. And I found my way into that. And I ended up going into university, taking a couple more classes. And then just one day decided I'm going to move to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to do the thing. And I've just been pretty much doing it ever since, just constantly. Yeah. Oh, that, that's wonderful. And as, as you mentioned, your, your sister going like, what is that question mark? People have that kind of thing. They don't understand that when you go to uh, theater, you sit down, the lights come out, lights go down. They're like, okay, they just do the lights, the house lights, that's it. But as you guys mentioned, you guys do so much. And for an eye, for like the eye of the uh, lighting designer, if I'm, may say when you guys are picturing the vision when you have a script in front of you how do you guys kind of transfer that if it has no lighting like you know design kind of instructions at all well it's a uh, what i call a cumulative cumulative knowledge hmm. in that um, you're already familiar with what you see every day so a lot of times it's just referencing what is normal mm -hmm. and being able to uh, impose on that a color uh, as an emotional impulse that the character or the storyline could demand. Mm -hmm. And if uh, they're sitting under a tree, you use a gobo. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's billions and billions of types of gobos that uh, you can use for uh, uh, given, giving a... Uh, Scenic character. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, helping support the character and the play because... For me, anyway, the uh, play or the story is the most important person in the room. Yeah, so a good example, just building on what you were saying, is that um, there's a show that I got a script for recently, and it takes place on a boat. <laughs> and it's <clears throat> the classic, like, Victorian 1800s, like, no, sorry, it's earlier, it's 1600s, um, vessel that people would, they'd be on. Uh, under the deck, they'd be hanging out in their barracks, and then you'd go up on top, and you'd have the sails. And, like, if you were to imagine a pirate ship, it'd just be this rustic thing. So when you're reading a script for that, what you do is you start 
if there's two actors sitting in the middle of the stage, sitting on a bed, and they're inside the boat, what you start thinking of is you start thinking of color. Okay, so there's wood. Mm-hmm. So there's wood, so you'd have some browns. There'd be shadows because there probably wouldn't be any windows. They'd be lit by candlelight. Um, if they had the hatch open, you'd have some sunlight coming in from above. Yeah. And you just kind of like... Build it. I personally start pic- like thinking of a picture. Mm-hmm. So I think of like what it would look like in a film set. Mm-hmm. And then you apply mm-hmm. any knowledge that you have to that about where you need to put the lights or what color to use. Mm-hmm. Or if there's a scene in a forest, then you use the gobos to create texture on the stage as if someone's like sitting underneath a tree yeah. and the sun is shining through it. Have you guys worked in film as well or is your expertise largely theatrical? No, well, I do, uh, just as uh, part of to supplement the income, because you know, hey, theater just don't pay much. Theater is like art; art you suffer. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, just as a uh, practical aspect, that uh, got to make money. So, you uh, do at least for me. I do two or three different things that uh, allow me to build X amount of reserves and then take the time off to do this kind of stuff. I see. Well, let's talk about your projects on uh, Brave New. You guys are doing two different programs. You are Program A, Michael, mm-hmm. and uh, Nicole, you are Program B. Can you tell us more about um, what you guys are kind of working on? Are we not allowed to uh, know just yet? Yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler Uh-oh. alert. <laughs> uh, it, well, no, I, I don't know how much I'm allowed to give away, but uh, the uh, scripts that I've read so far are... Uh, really good. They deal with some topical points of view and uh, communication issues between characters and yeah. uh, just generally what you go to theater because you uh, uh, love that sort of stuff. And it's mm-hmm. it's a safe zone. You're in the audience, the characters are up there are dealing with the issue. So hopefully you come out of the theater a little bit wiser. Mm-hmm. And um, I just I, I just appreciate the honesty that is in some of the scripts. Yeah, I think it's, I feel about the same with mine. Mm-hmm. I think I read one, I might be mixing up two of the scripts, but I think I was reading one where one, I almost feel like it fits with the theme of like, it, al- it almost wants to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, yes, the actors good. are the people like, good. dealing with the problem, but you mm-hmm. as an audience member are sitting there going, why am I watching this? This is a personal moment. What this should mean? be behind a closed door. Why am I here? I, I should be hearing this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, then again, everyone's a little bit of a voyeur. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's uh, interesting we mentioned Bertolt Brecht earlier, mm-hmm. who um, called attention to this sort of thing mm-hmm. a lot. And um, that was part mm-hmm. of his means of communicating. Um, you guys both, I think, you guys both endeavor to communicate um, with with lighting, an aspect that can, cannot be told otherwise and without which the story would be lacking. Um, I, I, I suppose my question is, um, to, is there a limit to that which can be communicated there? I mean, is that, there, uh, that where, where does the actor's threshold sort of start and begin in yours, and would you say? I don't know if there is a threshold because um, it's... One of those things that uh, they all support each other, just the same way as the sound designer will support the perception of what it needs to come across as far as uh, the point or poignant aspects of the script. So uh, the threshold shifts, if you will, back and forth. 
And uh, as long as you've got a good crew and good communication, then uh, it, it makes for a good show. Yeah, and at first I was going to say that there is, like, I was going to say there, like, wasn't a solid line there. Hmm. But then I thought about the fact that, in a way, an actor is there to say and show what the script wants to say and show, mm -hmm. but then lighting and sound are there to show what someone might n not notice. Hmm. So yeah. lighting and sound say what isn't being said. Yeah, and that's my favorite oxymoron. Obvious, <laughs> obvious subtlety. Like the old example of if you light somebody from below in a certain way, they're going to look more threatening. Yeah, and, and those are sort of stereotypical aspects that you apply uh, as a reference point. And then you can shift that light one side or the other or, you know, up at a horizontal plane. Mm -hmm. And you, as an audience member, will perceive something just a little bit different. And uh, you'll uh, 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 come out of there wiser. So it says here in your uh, biographies on the Brave New website, that's bravenew.ca, wink, <laughs> uh, yeah, for I love that promo. <laughs> um, it says that you guys very actually... subtle about that. I know, right? <laughs> very subtle of me. Uh, it says you guys actually worked on other festivals. What is your experience working with other festivals, and what is your experience uh, in comparison to Brave New? I know it hasn't really fully kind of like started yet. They're getting ready for the stage readings, which will be March the 19th, from what I believe, and then the actual shows will be March 23rd to the 26th. But drawing back from those experiences and the other uh, works that you've done, how is it different and how's the same with uh, Brave New? Um, well, I actually don't remember what festival my bio says that I've done. <laughs> I've done a couple, but I don't... It says you were a part of the Vancouver French. Right, that is in there. Okay. This year? <laughs> the, this year's Vancouver um, French? I didn't do any designs this year, but I did last year. Mm. Or... I did one directly after the festival this year. Oh, I saw I saw Holy Mo. It says on your. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We saw Holy Mo. Very oh. nice lighting. <laughs> well, on that one, um, disclaimer is I didn't actually do the design for that, mm -hmm. um, but I did work really closely with the designer for that show. Um, mm -hmm. I do a lot of technician work around the city as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, doing festival work at for the fringe was an interesting experience because we had a lot of shows in there at one time so i kind of ended up doing about five different shows while oh, i was wow. there and it's just you need to come up with a a plot which is like just where you put the lights in the space mm -hmm. and you need to find a way to incorporate the fact that all of these shows require something different mm -hmm. so well also what am i saying <laughs> well, the, just the efficiency uh, of the equipment and yeah. uh, what your resources are, uh, because that's where a threshold appears. If, you know, A, there's no budget, or B, you've got limited inventory, mm -hmm. and uh, the five plays don't necessarily mesh with regards to where they want to stage them, you'll have to find some sort of medium ground, and mm -hmm. if the, uh, uh, well, you might have to change the marks on stage for that matter and uh, try and hang as few lights as possible or hang as many as you've got uh -huh. and say this is what it is so I've only got I've got three plays that go here and two that go here I haven't got a light for over here so we're gonna have to shift that one over downstage or center stage a little bit more and these ones upstage and center mm -hmm. a little bit more 
then there's and the beast of color, yeah. which is if you have a play that's really dark and gloomy and really like upsetting, and then oh. you have another play that's really upbeat and, mm. <clears throat> excuse me, like really like a big musical, yeah. and you need to kind of do both, because it is the Fringe Festival, so you're either going to walk in and cry, or you're going to walk in and be like, well, that was weird. <laughs> um, or both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to kind of find a way to get like the big bright color while also being able to make it really intimate and really and really close and that space i was working in is actually an alleyway theater oh so you have seating on one side and the other side and then the other two sides are just walls Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like in the round where you have all four all four audience uh sections of audience but you have this weird thing where at any point where an actor turns sideways to the audience, um, all you have is side lighting. Mm -hmm. Unless you find a way to put lights on the edge of the the space so that when they're looking at a wall, it looks like like they're not just staring at nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Um, It's also just a very intimate space because it's just small and the first two rows of audience are always involved because mm-hmm. you can't not light them up. So the audience just gets lit. And yeah, especially the ones that leave their feet out in the middle of the, the stage. Aren't they nice? <laughs> Aren't they so nice that they yeah. do that? They, they <laughs> put their cozy. little Starbucks out there and... <laughs> uh, you know, in this fringe, you know, half the audience is lit already. But, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> 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 Order. Point taken, yeah. Uh, yes. I was, uh, <laughs> that was the joke. I ran a few shows for the Fringe, so don't get me started on that. <laughs> yes, no, we um, I, I I covered the Fringe this year. It was it was a good time. It's in that's I do love the I do love Vancouver Fringe here. It mm. is a really great festival full of very talented people, oh. just like brave new playwrights. Yes, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and they uh, just uh, the original place because I worked with several other uh, community theater groups mm-hmm. and uh, Theater BC uh, that sort. Uh, that uh, there was one group, not to name drop, but uh, uh, Spectral Theater, that um, I I worked with them for a lot of years, Mm -hmm. and uh, they're still going a little bit. Mm -hmm. And just the creative, resourceful people that were involved in that organization gave me the greatest satisfaction with learning as much as I was able to teach mm-hmm. in that uh, you had X amount of lights and this is all we've got. So we collaborated and worked together and it is always a collaboration. That's a great thing about theater. You, know? yeah. you get to bring out the best of, ideally bring out the best of everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And lighting does that the most, I would say. Lighting and sound really mm-hmm. help amplify or even if reinforce not, reinforce yeah. characterize yeah. the scene well without them you're mumbling in the dark i mean it's my sunday but it's not an i drool and on collaboration the two of us um not only we're doing a festival lighting we're each doing five shows oh yes um we have to share a plot <laughs> and i've never seen his shows and he's never seen my shows uh-huh. he's never read mine i've never read his and Lighting is very much one of those projects where you can collaborate with some something mm-hmm. and somebody, but it is a very lone wolf <clears throat> kind of like creative pursuit yeah. because you can collaborate with somebody and you both bring your strengths to it. Like somebody might be able to program the show, somebody might be able to like put the lights up and do the math and all that, but nobody wants to take 
no, it's nobody's baby at that point. Mm-hmm. So you have two people who have an idea and it collaborates fine, but it becomes really tricky trying to like decide, well, I need a light here. Well, I need a light here. And we're out of lights. So, Uh-oh. you know, and the, that's again where the communication and collaboration come in. That uh, That's what makes it fun. And yeah. that's what I enjoy. And I know the, the Studio 1398, yeah. uh, which is where the festival's taking place that's down right. on Granville Island. Um, I know that space very, very, very well. Mm. So. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, because well, it used to be the Playwright Theater, didn't it? Um, I think so. Like a yeah. very long time ago. Yeah, because I, yeah, well, okay, I'm an old guy then. <laughs> uh, dating myself. Um, but uh, overall, yeah, I did, I worked in there quite a bit. So they've got mm-hmm. a good resource, uh, good resources in there. Yeah, and they have what's called LED a house hang. Sorry? They have LED PARs now. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> you know, equipment like that. Um, Tech charting. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it creates 256 different colors. Oh, that's so cool. That uh, all from one light uh-huh. and from the one position. So, you know, there's a, a, a de- detraction there in that you can't move that light necessarily, especially mm-hmm. if it's part of the house hang. Mm-hmm. But at least you don't have to hang another light for a different play yeah. with a different color in it. That's um, so. what's really cool about the BMO Gold Corp Theater mm-hmm. is that... Mm-hmm. They only have five electrical, like, dimmer circuits or something along those lines um, in their entire building because instead (laughs) of needing to have, say, 200 lights, now you only need about 50 Yeah. because the entire house is LED. Mm -hmm. So instead of having, like, three lights in your front wash to light everybody up in different colors and different feelings, like open white, cold, and warm, um, now you can just have one light that fills the same amount of area and does all three of those colors. Yeah, and everything in between, too. Mm, that's so cool. Yeah. To finish off our interview with something kind of creative, something kind of fun, a little more fantasy for you both, if you could, if, let's say you had like, the biggest budget ever, and you can uh, do whatever lighting effect, what is the one lighting effect that you always wanted to like visualize on stage but didn't get to do yet? Black and white film is something that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Really? Really? Um, doing noir. Yeah, yeah, noir. Yeah, what did I say, noir? Yeah, <laughs> um, because working with light, it's, it's a, I might say this wrong, but it's subtractive color theory, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, so it becomes really hard to, like, do muted colors and do, like, gray mm. or something mm. like that, um, especially with conventional lights mm. where you just put gel in front of it. Um, it's a little bit easier with LEDs. Yeah. Um, and in the movie industry, they call it negative fill, where you yeah. you work with the shadow. You'll have X amount of light that's static mm-hmm. from daylight, and you work to create a contrast level by masking the light that's coming from the other side. So is that how you get day for night shots? Uh, no, no, that's in post. That's, uh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's adding or detracting black levels from the the last element before it goes mm-hmm. into editing and that sort of stuff so uh yeah and uh, i've never particularly liked that but nonetheless <laughs> yeah well, what, what about yourself what's kind of like your like your vision you'd love to stage <sighs> i know loaded question uh it's more if i could say Cirque Soleil. That's been on my bucket list for a very, very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I, uh, if I create that effect, and that's a whole lot of effects, but I'm just yeah. lumping that in as one. That's It'd some be really just... amazing maximalist production. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyways, again, thank you so much for joining us and telling us about lighting design. If you guys are listening, you guys actually got like a free lesson on lighting, just so <laughs> you guys know, audience. I'm just letting you know. You got industry kind of insider talk on uh, what to do with lights. But uh, thank you so much. And you guys are the lighting designers for the Brave New Playwrights 2017 Festival. This is all new uh, work by uh, UBC uh, BFA playwriting students. The stage reading series, March 19th. Full productions, March 23rd to the 26th. Studio 1398, Granville Island. Before we uh, head off with some uh, messages, what are some last words you'd like to say about Brave New? Come to the play. You'll learn more. <laughs> What he said. What he said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, we'll be back after these short messages. LGBTQ2I Night is a positive space for folks to learn about bike maintenance in a relaxed environment led by queer mechanics and volunteers. It takes place on the fourth Wednesday of every month at the Bike Kitchen on UBC's campus. Bring your own bike and fix them with our tools, come with questions and ask away, or learn by watching other folks work on their bikes. Beginners are always welcome. This event is entirely free to attend and there will be free pizza. For more information, visit bikecoop.ca. The next one is this Wednesday, January 25th. The most powerful motivational speeches that I have ever heard came from people who told me I couldn't do something. <laughs> you know why? Because when they told me I couldn't do it, I was bound and determined to show them that I could. All Access Pass is back for season two. We are a collectively run weekly program that discusses equity, inclusion, and accessibility issues on and off UBC's campus, including both visible and invisible disabilities. You can catch All Access Pass every Thursdays from 2 to 3 p.m. Anyone can get involved. No experience is necessary. People of all abilities are welcome to join. Check us out on Facebook at All Access Pass or get involved by emailing accessibilitycollective at citr.ca. Friday, January 27th, Nardwa the Human Serviette is opening up the Video Vault. Come hang out at CITR to see Nardwa play clips from his interviews and talk about his experience working in radio and getting his start at CITR. This event is co-presented by CITR, Discorder and the UBC. And if you've got a burning question for Canada's favourite interviewer, this is your chance to ask it. Welcome back to the Arts Report. You are listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I'm your host, Ashley Park. And I'm Jake Clark. Yes, and we are with... Emily Weldon. Hello, Ooh. everyone. <laughs> Hi, Emily. Hi. Let's talk about what you are uh, here for, which is 
amazing. It's Vancouver. It's local. Yes, it's the Vancouver Short Film Festival. So thanks so much for having me on today, guys. I'm so excited to talk about this local film festival that's coming to town this weekend. So the Vancouver Short Film Festival is coming up on Friday and Saturday Mm -hmm. this week, so the 27th and 28th of January. Uh, We're a short film festival that's really committed to the local art scene and the local Mm -hmm. short film scene in Vancouver and on the Canadian West Coast and throughout BC. Um, Our hope is to create an environment and create a festival where student filmmakers and emerging and professional filmmakers can come and share their work and have a space to celebrate the projects of each other and then also um, just really celebrate what they've been working on and um, enjoy the art scene. Vancouver is such a beautiful space to celebrate film right now, especially. Um, So we're really excited to have some local talent um, from both students and professionals uh, alike from the local industry to come show some stuff. It's going to be great. super cool. Yeah. Emily, like this... There's so much cool stuff that you just mentioned. How'd you get involved? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm the volunteer coordinator with the festival this year. So mm-hmm. I have had the pleasure of working on some arts uh, festivals in the past. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also a creative writing student at UBC, so I'm very uh, excited to be a part of the UBC arts community as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love working with film festivals. Honestly, I had the chance to work with the Whistler Film Festival back oh, in December yeah. of 2016, which was that's a good event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing oh. event. It's yeah, it's such a beautiful place. I, I mean, one of my favorite parts of that is just the filmmakers coming to the to the village. It's such a beautiful location to have a festival. So we really enjoy oh, yeah. just just celebrating with everyone. They really enjoyed that festival. And through extension, um, getting to work with the team there, I had the opportunity to join the Vancouver Short Film Festival team. So I'm really excited to help out and celebrate some great short films. It's uh, just such a great platform to be able to share a short film at a festival like this a lot of times the filmmakers may have not necessarily had a screening um, Mm -hmm. to this kind of audience before it might be one of their first screenings so there's just a great energy in the room when filmmakers are showing their work for the first time or one of the first times Mm -hmm. which I'm really excited to be a part of as well and uh, for people who are interested in checking out the programs there is a website that is yes so it's uh, vsff.com so you can check it out Um, yeah (laughs) pretty straightforward yeah um so definitely check out the programs yes tickets still are on sale um Mm -hmm. so you can buy them ahead of time online you can check out all the different programs what's great about the attending a short film festival as well the programs you get like usually six seven or eight films at once right so you get Mm -hmm. a taste of everything um we really try and mix up the different films that are included in the program so you're going to get a mix of genres we've got documentary experimental and all the different kinds of narratives so your comedies dramas thrillers so there's a little bit of something for everybody for sure so have a look at the programs and see what you'd like to see best we have four programs over the two days Mm -hmm. so there's one on the friday night and then three all day saturday so there's something to fit everyone's schedule and everybody's tastes as far as film um and they are available online now so definitely check them out or if you don't have a chance to buy them online you can always buy them at the door as well and people don't know but a short is actually one of the harder things to film com- compared to like absolutely, a absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah no absolutely um i think that's something uh i have definitely experienced personally as a creative writing student but as <laughs> whenever you're trying to compress something it yeah. gets more and more difficult uh to really nail that story down i really you have to know your story inside and out to get to the heart of it I think that's mm-hmm. that's so true with, with short film is you are getting right to that moment, right to that point, and it is you do not have any time to waste. So I think that really brings a great sense of excitement and a sense of immediacy to short film a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it can also create a great space to just explore new ideas or uh, more experimental ways of telling a narrative as well as a great thing to see in short film. Yeah. I noticed that the, um, the you have festival judges. So is there yes. a judging ceremony happening? Yeah, so we are giving away prizes during this festival. There's over $10,000 in prizes, um, cash and other types of gift certificates and awards being given out uh, through the festival. So there's awards in all different categories for best film, best screenplay, everything to best video effects. Um, mm -hmm. So it's going to be a, a really exciting event in that respect as well. There's going to be some uh, winners going home with some prizes, uh, all thanks to our <laughs> judges as well, who are uh, very active filmmakers in the community. And one of our judges is actually an alumni of the festival this year as well, oh, which cool. is, you know, it's always great to have alumni come back and join us. So mm -hmm. yeah, um, it, it's it's so exciting to be a part of that award ceremony as well to get to really recognize and and celebrate um, the truly exceptional work that we have the honor of celebrating at our festival. Were you able to get like a sneak peek preview of some of the movies or? I have seen a couple of them, not too many, but I have had the chance to see a few of them and they're Can you tell just us a so much fun. Or that spoilers? Hmm. Um, a little teaser. I will see. I will say the the one I have seen is it's called Trying. Mm -hmm. So it's by Shauna Johannesson, and that's a really funny, if you want to just see, see something that's like lighthearted and fun, and you're just going to laugh your face off, that's definitely <laughs> the one to see. Um, I believe it's on one of the programs on the Saturday, um, and that's a romantic comedy about a couple who's trying to conceive and the ups and downs and emotional mm -hmm. crazy roller coaster that goes on during that time. So uh, if you want to see something, yeah, you don't have to um, get too artsy, but you just want to have a good time. That's um, such a fun film to see as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this looks really, really great. Again, Vancouver Short Film Festival. Um, and for people who might have, uh, might have, uh, didn't catch it, where is it located? Yeah, so it's at the Van City Theater. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, super accessible by transit, right at kind of the downtown near on the edge of Yale Town, Granville Street. Um, really accessible theater. It's a beautiful venue as well. I, I just love that theater. It's such a great place to, to showcase mm -hmm. uh, the local arts. So definitely come by uh, this weekend if you have a chance. It's going to be great. Yep, and yeah. again, it's the Friday and the Saturday. Jake, what are your thoughts on short films? On short films? I yeah. like them. I, I, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's pretty great, and uh, the, the thing I like um, about short films, there's a, a friend of mine, Turner Stewart, who runs the Film Society, made a short film called, uh, uh, Q no, 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 sorry, he made uh, Computer Hearts was uh, one mm -hmm. of his short films, and I think this that was entered into one of these. I'd have to ask him, but it's mm -hmm. uh, it's a sort of Cronenberg-y movie about a computer. Did you check, check it out? Yeah, the, that sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah that's I've, perfect. It's um, And uh, what would you say about the variety of these? Because the great thing about these festivals is that you can go through so much variety. You can pack so many moods and atmospheres into a fairly short amount of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like I was mentioning before, there's so many different mm -hmm. genres that get covered at a short, short film festival, which is the great thing about being able to see yeah. up to, yeah, six, seven, or eight films in one program. If you watch uh, the whole bill, like, will you feel like you've been on a roller coaster? Like, <laughs> I don't know yeah. what to feel right what now. What are all these emotions? Yeah. Um, no. There could definitely be a, a multitude of themes and a multitude of of tones going on in the films, but I think mm -hmm. uh, generally when our programmers are uh, all su such fantastically talented people as well. I know they do try and keep in mind um, what films are going to show well together. Not necessarily that they're connected in a way or that they're going to be uh, have a sil similar theme or something like that, mm -hmm. but we do try and um, program our shorts in a way that they'll be enjoyable and, and a really wide variety, but also an interesting lineup to see all at once when you're watching the whole program. 
Huh. Very interesting. Neat. And again, this is the seventh annual Vancouver Short Film Festival. That's to the Van City Theater starting on yes. January the 27th, the Friday. And yep. that's in the evening, right? Yeah, so that's a 8 p.m. show, mm-hmm. uh, 8 p.m. And then on the Saturday, we have a 1 p.m., a 4 p.m., and a 7 p.m. Oh, wow, great. Mm-hmm. So if you can't yeah. make one time, you can just make the other one. Exactly. <laughs> yes, lots of options. All right, great. And if people want to buy tickets, again, it is uh, vsff.com. Uh, box office, of course, you can buy tickets there, too. Yes. And uh, before we go into a few commercial breaks, uh, if you can sum up uh, Vancouver Short Film Festival in one word. I know, I, it's like really hard. One word. The shortest. Ooh, the sh- I know, the shortest possible <laughs> sentence. Um, let's go with vibrant. Vibrant. That sounds yes. great. That sounds <laughs> Anyways, again, this is Emily, and this is the uh, Vancouver Short Film Festival January 27, 28. Go check it out if you love film and you love to be a little artsy and tell people, I went to a short film festival this weekend. Yeah, no it, well, yeah, no better thing to do, right? Well, yeah, it, it's Vancouver. There will be one. There will yes. be one. <laughs> Anyways, exactly. stay tuned. A few messages. We'll be right back. He's a nasty, nasty guy. He's a liar. Get him out of here. Get him the hell out of here. Get him out of here. Who is this guy? They call me DJ Ray. The Late Night Show is the start of the weekend. Tune in every Saturday mornings from 1230 a.m. to late, right after the Medicine Show. Email us, CITRLateNightShow at gmail.com. This concludes our proposal. Thank you for your attention. Now repeat after me. Bugger off. Bugger off. Sod. Sod. Bloody. Bloody. Now put them all together. Bugger off, you bloody sod. Bugger off, you bloody sod. Okay, you're in. Let's smash things up. Every Saturday, from noon to 1 p.m., Listen to Generation Annihilation on CITR 101.9 FM, UBC Radio, in Vancouver. The Kinder Morgan Pipeline expansion, if approved, would create decades of intensive carbon emissions with the transportation of fossil fuels from Edmonton to Burnaby. The federal government and the National Energy Board are set to announce their decision on the expansion in December. An approval of the project would actively work against Trudeau's commitment to a 1.5 degree limit on global temperature rise and would also put our local ecosystem at risk. If you would like to get involved in the fight against Kinder Morgan Pipeline, check us out at ubcc350.org. That's ubcc350.org. guessed by the way that we lead into our show. You are listening to the Arts Report. Yep, and we're still on unceded Musqueam territory at UBC. We haven't managed to move the audio equipment over, you know, off campus. Just to let you know, we're still here. Yep. 101.9 FM. And speaking of UBC, and actually speaking, going back earlier, very creative lighting, mm-hmm. we uh, we have a, we, had, we actually had a great treat. We saw Love and Information at the Freddie Wood. Yeah, that Which, was uh, Carol by uh, Carol Churchill. Yeah, Carol Churchill. That's right. That's right. It's um, 
it was a something. It felt like a short, to be honest, like a short film festival. It, it, it did feel like a short film festival. It felt, actually, a lot of these segments were shorter than most short films. Oh, um, yeah. It was, what do you say, 60 vignettes? Was it supposed to? Uh, the actual number mm-hmm. I, I've been trying to find for a little bit, and I don't uh, seem to have it. There were a lot of them, though. And there was were... Um, there were 52 scenes. 52 scenes. And so eight were, acts. Yes. And the acts were separated by the um, the depression things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But um, the if there was one word to describe this show, how would you, how would you go with I it? I would go with one word. Oh, that's so hard, but... Not really, yeah. in this case. Not actually. really in this case. I would go for, with eclectic, frenetic, if I wanted to be like a little like on the negative, frenetic, but on the positive, eclectic. Yeah, I, eclectic would be my positive, too. For, on the negative, I would say disorienting, mm-hmm. which I'm pretty sure was intentional. I'm fairly sure that that was intentional. It felt like on, on purpose they were trying to do an information overload. Yes. Didn't that? And the, the title drop, like there's a, information is a the theme here. Love, maybe, to a different extent. Mm-hmm. But I think information and... Um, and not not communication because this is interesting to me, mm-hmm. is that communication is a, a theme in a lot of work and uh, like uh, all of David Mamet's plays or at least all of his good ones, center <laughs> around. Um, actually, I, you know, I you know, love Mamet. Actually, I love Glengarry Glen Ross. I know I did a monologue from Glengarry Glen Ross and not the one you're thinking of right now with Al Pacino verbally beating Kev- uh, uh, Kevin Spacey <laughs> to a pulp. Um, he murdered him. Yeah. Just, we can't say it on the radio, because if you say any line from David Mamet on the radio, you get flagged. Um, yeah. yeah, so many flags. Yeah, so, so many of them. Uh, I think Glenn Gary Glenn Ross set a record for that, actually, for a little while. <laughs> and it, funny, because Al Pacino is in that and the movie that set the previous record, which was Scarface. Mm-hmm. Um, we get ahead of ourselves. Um, this one is not about necessarily communication. Communication is a factor, but it's about information. It's not about knowing something and conveying that. It's about whether or not you know it and what you know, mm-hmm. which is an interesting thing to try and communicate uh, on stage because there's a lot you have to assume, a lot of that which is assumed to be known, which because you cannot convey information as uh, neatly or as explan- in such an explanatory manner as mm-hmm. film or especially prose, where you can just say it. Yep. Um, and in, f- in, in, a, in a play, things like lighting and sound and acting and, and even the writing oftentimes have to intimate that, have to, have to either imply or describe something that is just simply physically impossible mm-hmm. to, uh, to stage or oftentimes something that might be possible but is simply better in description. And this does that a lot. Can I, t- can I read something that was actually really interesting that you I found out about love and information? Certainly, yes. Uh, the plays in seven sections, numbered one to seven, each comprising a number of short scenes. In the published script, the scenes are each given a title, like secret, affair, fate, Chinese poetry. Remember Chinese poetry? with The man mm-hmm. trying to be like the woman, mountain. Remember? No. See, there's so See, many scenes. That was a problem. Uh, uh, one problem with this was the speed at which they were there. And the titles were here. Yeah. They were they were shown in lights yeah. at the bottom. Yeah. But uh, anyways, back to the point. Um, there was a note on the text which specified that the sections should be played in the order given, but the scenes within the sections, so in, within the acts, can be played in any order. Now that's within interesting. each section. There are a number of also random, quote-unquote random scenes, printed at the end of the published text that can be performed at any stage, at any stage of the play. Lines are unattributed to characters, and characters are, quote-unquote, are different in every scene, end quote, with the possible exception of some of the random scenes. 
So there's potentially over 100 characters in the play. Yeah, and that was the I w- the acting in this was extremely good. I, I would mm-hmm. say the the cast of this had great chemistry with each other. They played um, a lot of the characters were played very broadly. Yeah, I will say that. But you only have so much time. Is yeah. the thing you have. They're to... not very nuanced, but you ge- you get the general gist of their. Well, character. okay. So the one example there's one about a, a mob snitch. Yeah. In this one. And in a second, you're like, so this guy is sitting at the table in a tracksuit with his pregnant wife in a house coat. Okay, if you're wearing a tracksuit and a wife beater, a shirt, I'm going to say right now, you're either from a certain part of England, the chavy part, or you're from New Jersey. Uh-huh. That's it. That's where that character comes from. Yeah. We know this. We've seen the Sopranos and Guy Ritchie movies. Just we, we know these things but to be But you have to true. wonder, is that the work of the costume designer or is that the um, actually explicit within the text? Because it says the script rarely gives any context for the scenes, although sometimes the stage direction clarifies the action in a very broad way. One person tells the story to the other. So whoever the uh, costume designer is, uh, he or she did a wonderful Diane, thing. Diane Park and Heather Young. It was it was yep. a dual project. And they did do a fabulous right. job. They to did help do... give clues. Yeah, and uh, again, because Archetype does rely on costuming a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but sometimes, though, they, they, they didn't do that. Sometimes they did kind of do a switch around. Like um, another uh, – one of the most interesting vignettes, though, actually, was one where they weren't really wearing costumes at all. Yeah. Was the title drop scene, which is um, – the source of my newest pickup line, actually. Go ahead. <laughs> is, so these two, For the airwaves. These two people sitting in a bathtub, mm-hmm. uh, and they're discussing sort of the title, Love and Information. Mm-hmm. And the guy is like, sex is information. And, you know, I'm like, well, we're in academia. We should be very well informed. Like, that's that's the great pitch to go on. Yep. You know, it's better than, you know, my old one, which is, of course, what's your sign? Yeah, for some reason I'm still single. I, I don't know why that is. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was that was um, a scene that I um, that feels like the center of the play. Yep. It really does. Mm-hmm. And uh, that scene, they play that, and they play a lot of different scenes about these interpersonal relationships. Um, Oddly, like ambiguously, so that they could be about love, they could be about friendship, they could be about acquaintanceship. I don't know if acquaintanceship is a word, but there you mm-hmm. have it. And it's that that's which is unseen, that which probably cannot be conveyed. Uh, that is that that makes um, the that kind of drives it. That kind of makes it interesting because you're not sure. Some of them end very abruptly. Yeah, and they do. that is sort of the thing. Some of them end without a climax. Yeah. Uh, these segments because they're very short. They really are. And uh, they, they sort of just a lot of them just present these archetypes, and they're good archetypes. They do that, and I think that is the point. Mm-hmm. To give this sort of information overload from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I will mention is that they had a few scenes that were repeating that they were kind of like an established like through line throughout the piece, and that was what we they mentioned did, before, yeah. the Depression series. Yes, so there's a series of small vignettes, and I actually asked uh, a cast member about this, Jed Weiss, as well as um, Aiden, uh, Aiden Wright, and they, um, they told me that essentially the scenes were written so that there is a, a line spoken to a person on stage that uh, that person does not respond to. Mm-hmm. And those lines be various things uh, endemic of this. And they'd be cold light, this person in a vulnerable position on stage. It would, it, it did. Um, I was uncertain of how that 
was supposed to play through the piece. I have to admit, um, in the beginning, I did enjoy it. It was a good respite from all the manic action that was happening on stage. But maybe it was just where we were seated but and the speakers were too loud. But that ringing noise just kept on building until I had a minor headache, too. Until I was kind of getting a little, like, ooh, my head. That didn't bother me, but, uh, mm-hmm. that, like, uh, yeah, I, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a few, like, the, the director, Lauren Taylor, um, definitely had to really play through these scenes. And really, I think one thing that I do want to say about this is that it seems like everybody understood this script and had a very clear idea yeah, they did. of the production they were performing. They knew it um, fractabunt. They were very, very uh, well, very aware of that. And I think that was why a lot of the actors had such great chemistry with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the, the lighting was really amazing. And uh, there's this, just this ability to um, convey this as well information um and uh robert gardner who's the scenery and lighting advisor um created this sort of um this sort of uh, the and of course vanessa tang who operated the actual light board right and uh stefan zabovic who actually did the lighting design all put this these things together to create um uh, really, uh, it did help to really separate the pieces. Like, there were visual designs uh, playing through that were significant to it. Like, there was um, a, uh, a um, what is it? The, uh, the, the, the thing for the, um, the science scene, you know what I mean? The, oh, see? The, like, I, if, you don't exp- if you don't, like, give me more of the context, I'm going to forget the scenes. There's so many It scenes. is hard to describe because yeah. the lighting is – it is very well uh, well lit and very well portrayed. And they, they do these things. They, they put these things up. They project them onto the stage. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was the one thing with the DNA. Do you remember? Yes, that, that's what I'm talking about. Ah, that's what you're yeah. talking about. And uh, code, too, for a computer yeah. um, at, at different points. The scenes related to that. It felt very, like, as you mentioned, computer-like, very, like, information, like, gathering gathering data, sending data, that sort of thing. Yeah. Which, again, I feel like you were right. Love is, like, kind of bracketed, but and information is, like, boom. That's like the Well, you know, if sex is me. information, then, you know. All like right. the thesis <laughs> going on that. Because it, it's interesting is that uh, it was, yeah, it was a play about knowing and not knowing, I think, if you want to say anything about it. And this was written in 2012, which yeah. is interesting because there's a couple segments. There's one segment called Censor, which is about, well, what do you think it's about? It's called censor. Yeah. It's about censorship. Um, there's one about uh, these two torturers who are debating whether or not to give this um, torturer, this torturee. Torturee. The victim. Uh, yeah. A cigarette. And uh, there's also Bush and Blair conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's brief mentions of Bush and Blair throughout. Oh, man. You know, I miss the time when George Bush was the worst thing. I, <laughs> but, uh, I can't believe it. We're, looking, we're actually looking fondly back on the Bush administration. This is the world that we are living in. Yeah. Um, but uh, the thing is that uh, the play, I, I, it does really seem like that because uh, something about information, you know, remember the whole debacle with the NSA? Like mm-hmm. that was really fresh in 2012, I, I believe. Yeah. That was 2012. Yeah, it was, it was close. When did um, – because I, I've remembered the business about um, Assange, Snowden, Ilk being around for about that long. Like, right? Isn't that weird? Was that about 2012? That's that's when it kind of like all started twenty twelve I think. Because I, I I don't remember specifically when. Yeah. Um, I mean I've seen the new movie Snowden, which mm-hmm. I'm surprised it took this long for Oliver Stone to make that because I'm pretty sure the second he found out about Edward Snowden he had a massive erection. Okay. Um, but 
you, getting off course with that. Yeah. There is there is uh, something like that. There is this feeling of not knowing and a fear of not knowing is I think is commonly presented. Mm-hmm. Too right. like there is a there is a, a kind of one one that did kind of impact me is one about dementia, uh, which yep. is probably the or the one of the greatest extents of that fear. Um, and there is also there's also one about like a surprising family reveal. And if you like, for example, this happened to Jack Nicholson. It's funny when you see it, but like imagine what that does. Like, uh, and I don't want to spoil this exactly. We don't like want to spoil it, but in the case people are like, which family thing? Because there's a lot of themes. So you have to, like, tie it up. We'll just say one person playing video games. Yes, yeah. And that is, uh, like, I feel like this is kind of an unspoilable show. But, um, like, I would say go see it. Like, this is this is a solid show to see. It's It's definitely an experience that if this was a film, you would probably throw up about halfway through it. Like this is something that really only happens that can work well in, in theater. That really only works in on stage. Yeah. That is able to be presented in a way that's not disorienting or aggravating. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I would say this is worth this is this is definitely worth the price of admission. It's eleven bucks um, for a ticket. I'd recommend go seeing it. It runs till February fourth. It's got a very talented cast. Some very talented people put it together. It is a, a great production at the, at the Freddie Wood. Mm-hmm. And when is it going until? February 4th. February 4th. So you still have time to go see it. A great show if you really, if you're kind of into like the vague, then you're going to like it. If you're like, I don't get it. Spoiler. This this seems like it could be an anthology show, like a sort of Love Actually sort of thing. Yeah. Or like even Love Approximately, which is the one that the, a lot of actually some of the same people did last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not like that. Yeah, it's not These like that. These are not the same characters. The undercurrent is the, it's a thematic connection at best. And um, that that is, uh, it, it, it's, it's a different kind of show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh that said, we have uh, for you live, we will now be going into a wonderful um, interview that our, uh, our our other arts host, Christine Kim. Oh, terrific. Did. And then we'll uh, end the show with that? Really great, yeah. Um, so she actually interviewed a Vancouver-based investigative journalist, Christopher Pollan, and he had um, done some research about the controversy surrounding the construction of Site C Dam. And, um uh, yeah. You can uh, meet him at the Patagonia Vancouver Kids location. That was at um, that was on January the nineteenth. But we're gonna go into that interview. And again, you were listening to the Arts Report. We had some wonderful content. If you can go, definitely check these out. You want to check out the uh, world um, world Sinophone drama competition for young playwrights. You have the three shows: January twenty fifth, February first, February the eighth. You have Brave New Playwrights coming up in March. You have the Vancouver Short Film Festival. And then you have, of course, Love and Information. Yes. And anyways, we were your hosts. I'm Ashley Park. And I'm Jake Clark. Cheers. Christopher Pollan is a Vancouver-based independent journalist who specializes in reporting on issues to do with Canada's natural resources. In late November of last year, he published a book called The Peace in Peril, the real cost of the sightsee dam. I got to speak with Christopher about the journey behind the book as he and photojournalist Ben Nelms paddled over 80 kilometers of the Peace River and interviewed locals along the stretch. Today, Sightsee Dam is an issue of international concern, as Amnesty International has launched a campaign called Right to Right, petitioning for the end to the $8.8 billion dam project. My name is Christopher Poland. 
I'm a freelance journalist based in Vancouver. Uh, I write about resources uh, and the environment and have spent about 15 years doing that. So I, I cover a beat, which uh, includes everything from uh, oil and gas to forestry to energy uh, to oceans. And tell me a little bit, Christopher, about the new book that you've written, The Peace in Peril. What is that about? In the autumn of 2015, so fall 2015, I went up to the peace with a photographer named Ben Nelms. And what we did was we rented a canoe in Vancouver and lashed it to the roof of Ben's truck and drove 15 hours across the province to a little town called Hudson's Hope. Um, And that was the starting point of of a river journey, a paddling journey that we did. And our plan uh, at that point was to to paddle the roughly 100-kilometer section of the river, of the Peace River, that was going to be flooded by the creation of the Site C Dam, and then spend roughly an equal amount of time backtracking by land and just trying to talk and meet absolutely everyone we could that was going to be affected by the dam. So the book very naturally broke into two parts. Uh, one is, first part is water, which is our four-day paddling journey where we slept out on these amazing little wild islands, like just kind of randomly slept out on these islands for the first four days, and then, uh, and then backtracked and just kind of got more into the human element on that second part, which was which is titled in the book Land. And what is the controversy surrounding the Site C Dam? Well, the creation of the dam, uh, building the dam, will flood roughly 100 kilometers, square kilometers of land. That includes uh, a huge swath of of high-quality agricultural land and about 50 islands and the entire riparian zone of this river which is really uh, has world-class kind of um, values as far as wildlife, biodiversity, and everything else. What makes the, the project controversial in particular beyond that is that the provincial government exempted Site C from the independent review of something that's called the BC Utilities Commission. And this commission is BC Hydro's independent regulator. And by law, the project should have been reviewed by that, but it was exempted by the, by the Liberals. Hmm. And, and for just a bit of historical context, the last time Site C was proposed, keep in mind Site C was, has been around since the 50s, at least the plan to build it. And the last time that Site C was proposed in 1983, it was the review, this independent review by the BC Utilities Commission that ultimately killed it the last time it was seriously proposed. So this time it was just simply exempted. So there's this sense of it being almost rubber stamped. I mean, the government did have a process. An ind- uh, it wasn't an independent process. It was something that they set up. They had uh, you know, a panel of contractors review it, and they had a company called KPMG review uh, you know, aspects of the dam. But uh, you know, as critics uh, far and wide have been pointing out, that it's not the same as, as the B.C. Uh, 
uh, Utilities Commission uh, review. It seemed as though the new Liberal government would take a lot greater care about advancing Canada's interests and matters around environment and surrounding climate change. Have you been surprised with Prime Minister Trudeau's response to Site C so far? Well, you know, you have to keep in mind, though, that that Site C, the federal government, I suppose, plays a role. Is that the, um, you know, I know to date the Trudeau government has facilitated at, at least several perm, uh, key permits that were needed uh, to continue construction, that kind of thing. But you have to look at, at this project as, as something that's really being pushed by the provincial government and with BC Hydro as you know a crown corporation being the builder and or, or being the 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 entity that's ultimately responsible i suppose but it's more of a provincial crown corporation thing than it is federal um but i, I that said i think a lot of people have been disappointed that uh, trudeau has not been more involved in this or even more critical of it in my in my point of view i, I really see the provincial and BC, the provincial government and bc hydro as being kind of the key players behind this moving forward hmm. And you say, you know, this is a provincial issue. And I was really surprised to see that this was Amnesty International's choice to make Site C as Canada's first issue and bring this project up to international proportions. What is your um, thoughts on Amnesty International's decisions and what kind of traction do you hope that that is going to bring? Right. You know, um, I think that Amnesty International's involvement at least what you're talking about was it was a letter writing campaign that I believe happened in December, right? I think it was Right for Rights or something like that. Yes. And so, you know, I think the exposure that that gave and the profile they, that gave the project was certainly, uh, you know, something that surprised a lot of people. You know, when I was up in the piece doing, I had just finished the paddling leg of, the, of our trip, and we, had, we were at this event where we met... Uh, and, I, and I was surprised at first, but I met um, his name's Craig Benjamin from from and he and he was from Am- Amnesty International, and he was doing research that I that I assume pro- informed their ultimate decision to to make it this high profile of an issue. But at the time, he his main focus when I was talking with him was it was about Site C, but it was looking at the much bigger picture of at the dynamics of boom and bust in a place like, uh, you know, the peace, which is, which is an economic engine in the sense that, you know, there's, there's huge oil and gas activity, there's tons of forestry, there's coal mining, and, and you know, there's hydro as well. The, all this enormous boom and bust sort of resource activity where, and they were curious about, about investigating who gets left behind in that boom and bust cycle. And their focus at the point when I was there, when I talked to them, was um, Aboriginal people, and in particular Aboriginal women living in, in areas like Fort St. John. So, you know, I wasn't that surprised that it ended up being pretty high profile for them because the, they seemed to really be keen on, on, uh, on digging into that issue when they were up there. Why do you think it is that oftentimes we see First Nations communities and peoples at the forefront of protests against construction of, of big natural resources plants, like the Site C Dam, like pipelines that have recently been passed by the Trudeau government? Well, there's two things. Um, in British Columbia, and again, this is, this is my opinion. I don't speak for First Nations at all. Mm-hmm. But um, 
in British Columbia, a lot of their traditional territories are are in question officially, in the sense that they there aren't, for the most part, there aren't treaties that have solved you know sort of a lot of, of the questions about title, and so so there's that. But also, you know, even in my personal experience, is that a lot of First Nations communities, much more so than you know people that live in cities and 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 even towns, they rely on the land for so many different things, whether it's spiritual, whether it's, it's, uh, it's sustenance, like food throughout the year, those kind of things. They live much closer to the land in that sense. And so what happens on the land, is, particularly as far as degrading it, is, is just that many notches higher in importance to them compared to someone like myself living in you know, East Vancouver talking to you on the phone. Right. So there's those two aspects, I think. Being an, uh, an investigative journalist on these environmental issues, what do you think are some of the other overlooked aspects of these issues that y- when you investigate, you find that not many people know about or that kind of information yeah. is not readily available? What do you think are some of those hmm. underreported, specifically to Site CDAM or um, about generally in the kind of investigative journalism that you specialize in? Well, you know, I'll use the, the Peace region as an example. Mm-hmm. Was that, um, you know, when I started out doing the research, I, I really had, wouldn't, would have had a hard time pointing out, you know, Hudson's Hope or, 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 or even Fort St. John on a map. And so there's this, it's very much out of sight, out of mind. And so, it was Site C that drew me, drew me up there to look at that and, and to look specifically at how that might change the way that river is right now. But when it, once I was up there, I realized that, there's, that beyond hydro, there is so much more going on up in that, very, uh, that, that isolated region that's, that people in the south aren't aware of. Um, you know, the government will refer to the peace region as, as an economic engine. But what I discovered was that there's so many resources being, um, being extracted in that region that it's almost like it's a sacrifice zone. I'll give you a few examples. You know, since the first uh, gas well was drilled you know, around the late 40s, uh, you know, today uh, there's about 45,000 linear kilometers of roads that have been punched through the Peace region thousands of kilometers of pipelines, you know, and along with that comes a lot of the, you know, the big forestry clear cuts. And, and then also, which is astounding as well, is that you have to keep in mind that even without Site C, the two existing dams on the Peace, which were built um, in the 60s and in 1980, the second one was built in 1980, supply us with uh, about a third of our total electricity in British Columbia. Hmm. So, so this region uh, is, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's being, at least environmentally, it's being sacrificed. I like how you put it, because my next question is actually about the extent to which you think economic growth compromises um, envi- environmental growth. Because, I mean, in talk, we always hear that you can always have those two goals moving together side by side. But in practice, it seems like when we're talking about these issues, they always butt heads. So in your opinion, in what ways do you think those two goals either either can grow together or will diverge at some, at some point? <laughs> well, you know, it's always a tough, uh, you always hear that term balance. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's, it, it's easy to hear that word and be cynical about it because 
um, it feels a lot of times like um, what makes money and what creates jobs carries the day. Um, and it's not true across the board. But it's, it's a difficult, if it is a balance that we have to strike, because people do need jobs. Um, we have an economy where, um, you know, we live in a resource economy. You know, whether it's forestry, historically more forestry and, and things like fishing. And, you know, as you see from what the, uh, the provincial government, with, uh, with it really, in a way, staking our entire future on this hope for LNG development and natural gas, Again, you see the peace as a region that's central to that. You know, I'm not really sure what to say other than it's a difficult balance that we have to create, and um, I think it's so important that people that live in this province be aware of what's going on and basically scrutinize what our politicians put forward. For example, you know, is, is Site C a project that, you know, did we need to build a giant mega dam or could other, could we have met our energy needs for the future in a different way? I mean, that's a simple question, but I don't feel like it's been asked enough. Now, could you talk about what you specifically are going to be doing here in Vancouver, especially today, yeah. January 19th, what you'll be talking about, where you're going to be talking, as well as also how people after the event or people who can't even attend the event, how they could follow up with you about Sightsee Dam. So tonight, um, Patagonia is putting this on at their, uh, their store on uh, West 4th Avenue. Uh, I believe it starts to get started uh, around 7. I, I think we're, we're on about 7.30. Now, what's going to happen is I'm going to go up and do a few readings from the book. Uh, the book came out uh, in, late, in late November. And so I'm going to do a bunch of, I'm going to do a few readings, keeping it fairly short, but talking about the trip, uh, talking about the wilderness trip and, uh, and, and, the, and some of the more interesting characters that we met while we were doing this. And then the photographer, a photojournalist named Ben Nelms, has put, a get, put together a, a slideshow of some of his favorite, favorite pictures. And, and keep in mind, the book has about 60 photos in it. Wow. And Ben's photography, uh, landscape photography, is absolutely stunning. Like, it, most of it's color. And, and we went in autumn when the piece was in absolute stunning uh, autumn colors. So he's going to talk about his favorite pictures. And then there's going to be a Q&A section afterwards. And, and I would be, rem be remiss if I didn't mention there is also uh, craft beer by donation. I think <laughs> Persephone Brewing is on hand. Uh, and I think that the proceeds for the event will be going to the Peace Valley Environment Association, which is a, piece that, uh, a group that's based up in the Peace. Um, as far as staying in touch, uh, I'm on Twitter, and it's uh, C under, or at C underscore Poland, so C underscore P-O-L-L-O-N, and that's a good way to stay in touch about uh, various events, because whenever I'm talking or uh, doing anything for the book, I put it up on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Christopher. It's been a real pleasure to be able to talk to you about Sightsee Dam. Okay, great. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. My name is Christine Kim, reporting for the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM.